Welcome to Coffee with Coffee. We have a very special guest today. And here in a little bit, you are going to see why. Sip, sip, hooray, Brian. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Coffee. Today, I have the very unique pleasure to host a friend of mine, someone I look up to, someone I respect a lot. He's a writer, a publisher, a researcher, innovator, connector. I call him personally a community builder and binder. He is a foot and ankle surgeon and most importantly, a Texan. I have for you today, Brian Segre. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much, Kofi. It's honestly my privilege and uh, honor to be here. I mean, you and I, we connected in such an interesting way, I think, here on LinkedIn that so many people do, where I think we both were aware of each other and we're sort of people we use this term lurking, right? We were kind of in the background, reading each other's stories, getting to know each other. And then there was just this one post, I think, maybe close to a few weeks or a month ago where both of us like just broke the silence and we've really gotten close since then. So yeah, it's been my privilege and to watch you, what you're doing here in such a short time is just really inspirational to me, honestly. So thank you. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, you have a way to tell stories, you know, uh, for someone who grew up in a community where storytelling is the core of how we, we learn. I remember growing up, my grandma would sit us around the campfire and tell stories. You would, there was no electricity in the village. So you would literally see shadows raising off the flames. And it was such a wonderful experience to, to live. And, and whenever you tell stories and how you say a lot with less words, it always takes me back to, to my grandma because she would say, Kofi, you need to use less word so that your message doesn't get lost in the words. You do that so well. And that's one of the, the things, the skills that I look up to in you. But today we are going to be talking about stories of overcoming. Just like every episode of Coffee with Coffee, we explore stories of overcoming. And today we will be exploring overcoming labels. There are so many labels that society have put in place and sometimes they're not necessarily the best labels out there. And you have broken and overcome so many of those labels. And I'm so excited today to be able to take a few laps inside your pool of wisdom with my audience and learn and pick on your brain when it comes to overcoming labels. Now, before we head to stories of overcoming labels, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Brian Segre, in a nutshell? Sure, sure. Yes. So I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. I left here when I was 18, went to college, ran track, 
and cross country um, in college, went to medical school after that, then went to residency and fellowship and basically was on this path to be a surgeon and did that for about you know, 15 years and was very fulfilling, very successful career. When my residency director at Georgetown retired, he had been there for like, I don't know, 40 plus years. I was in California at the time in Northern California, and they reached out to me to be the new residency director. So that was a pretty big accomplishment for me. I was one of the youngest residency directors in the country at the time. And was sort of like at the height or the peak of my career at a very young age. It's one of those things I look back now and I was always really motivated to just get somewhere really fast. And, you know, I think sometimes should I have slowed down a little bit? But so when I got to that point, unfortunately, my dad lost his second fight to cancer, to lung cancer. So he, for those of you that don't know, had had lung cancer and had surgery and, you know, chemo and radiation and basically had survived five years after that, where most people, about 80% of people that get lung cancer are no longer with us at five years. So the fact that he even made it five years was pretty wow. incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, you know, my dad was a fighter, always had that mentality, you know, growing his business from, you know, just barely getting out of high school. And so he just couldn't win this last fight. When the cancer came back the second time, it was you know, in the brain, the spine, the liver, it was everywhere. And he had been all over the United States to all the well-known, you know, institutes, and there was just nothing they could do. So it was sort of ironic because my wife and I had just bought this beautiful home in Georgetown, like literally still had stuff in boxes, put 20% down on this outrageously expensive house and we're living the dream. And then just like that, everything changes. And I remember when I got that phone call from my mom, my wife and I looked at each other and we were like, we just knew. And we put the house on the market the next day. I resigned from my job and we moved back to San Antonio, Texas. And basically I stepped in and helped take over the family business, which had been, you know, a trade company that had been in business for about 50 years in the state and helped mom run that business. And we grew it. We tripled revenue basically for three years straight. And wow. then we sold the business. She's playing tennis and living in the country club now and loving life. And here we are talking on LinkedIn. Wow. Wow. Such an amazing story. Incredible. How do you walk away from a foot and ankle surgeon profession career that is blooming? It's interesting. So when I look back now, I think one of the things that I was taught young was in life, when you have these really, really big decisions, these really important, like life-changing decisions, think about those the least, right? Like when you have a really big decision and it comes right in front of you, I was always taught, make that decision with how you feel, right? People will tell you, you know, don't make decisions in business with emotion and with feelings. And I agree with that. But I think when you're making a life-changing decision, I think you just have to make the decision in that moment, how you feel, and then you have to just own it. And so for me, I think, you know, growing up on the ranch, you know, growing up very similar to you sitting around a campfire, a dad and a mom that built a business, just the two of them together. You know, I knew what hardship was. I saw that growing up, but my family always took care of each other. And so my wife and I, we just knew that if I left this career that was very six you know people define success differently but it was very successful financially personally socially i knew that if i walked away from that 
whatever happened with my family, we would all be there together to take care of each other. And so in that moment, when I made that decision, I was just thinking about family and I knew I needed to be home. It was like a calling, you know, so I, I just left. And I think the hardest thing for me was wondering how all of my other peers, you know, all across the U.S., how everyone else was going to perceive, wow, this guy is like at the pinnacle and he just disappeared, you know. That was what I was the most concerned with at the time, which now I look back and I think to myself, why did I care what other people would think? But I had overwhelming uh, support from all the boards that I sat on, all the different colleges that I was uh, lecturing at. Everyone just stepped up and they, you know, basically said, wow, you know, for you to walk away from this to go back to where it all started to your family, they're like, you know, go. If that's where you need to go, like, you know, we've got you, you know. So um, I don't think I could have done it without the support of my family and the community around me. Wow. So have you ever at any point to, uh, during making the, the decision to go back and take over the family business, have you ever think of, all the labels that society built when it comes to career identity and how you've put so many years, worked hard to get there, and now you are deciding to step away from it and go somewhere else to start from the beginning. Yes, yeah, so that's actually a really, I think, um, it is something that society puts on us, these labels. And I think that I was just perhaps fortunate, you know, growing up with a dad who was, you know, basically a high school dropout and a plumber, right? So you can just insert the joke there. Um, and that's <laughs> not me making the joke. That's just, that's the industry, right? And so I think what what where I was fortunate was my dad was my first mentor. And so, you know, until I was probably 18 years old or 19 years old, you know, we were still working on the ranch, running the family business, you know, and so things were tight. But once his company, he always invested back into the business. So even to this day, there are people who started with my dad when they were 18, right out of high school. And now they've got four and five kids and they've started their own electrical or their own plumbing company. So he always invested in people first. And so I think I was fortunate at, at a very young age to watch my dad interact with the people that were in the warehouse stacking product and unpackaging product to the people that were the top selling plumber or the manager of a particular store. You know, for my dad, they were all just people. And so I think from a very young age, I really knew that, you know, there were doctors and lawyers and lieutenants and colonels and there were, you know, teachers and PhDs and all this. But my dad really taught me to not really look at that as much as, you know, to look at the person for who they are and what they stand for. Mm -hmm. um, and it's unfortunate that society does not work that way, right? Society likes to put people in little boxes. And so I think for me, it wasn't hard for me personally to overcome that, but it was really challenging when I stepped into that position because a lot of the people that I knew since I was a little bitty boy, literally, and I used yeah. to ride around in their trucks with them, you know, when I was a little kid. And now here comes this guy who's 15 or 20 years younger than me. And he's now the president of his dad's company. And now he's telling me what to do. And I used to tell him what to do. Right. And he's a doctor. Big deal. And so for me, it was sort of opposite Kofi in the sense that I had to help break down the barriers for them in the sense that, hey, guys, look, 
it's just Brian. You guys remember me when I was like 10 years old. I'm the same guy. Like I, I'm always going to be the same person. Wow. And so, and so I think after a few months, you know, of them realizing, wow, look at this guy. He's, you know, throwing stuff up on the shelf with us. He's driving out to a, you know, to a job site and bringing me parts because I can't, you know, I can't leave the job or whatever. And so I think for me, never being too proud or I think, you know, whatever industry you're in, my the way I look at it is if you're in any sort of position of leadership at all, which really all of us are leaders, but if you're in that position where you're, you know, there's people that report to you or that that you have to answer for, I think the most important thing you can do is never ask them to do anything that you're not willing to at least try yourself, you know? I think that is one way that we can help remove those labels. And it was the same with me, Kofi, in the operating room. I mean, people called me Dr. You know, Segray, but I was way different than that. You know, I would help the nurses move the patient. I would literally help them clean up and empty the trash after the surgery was over so that we could all get to the next one quicker so we could all get home to our families quicker. And so I think that if you look at yourself as a label, like society wants you to be, then that's where problems happen. But if you just see yourself as that person you were before that label, then I think it's much mm. uh, it's much easier. That is so powerful. Yeah, because most people, once they get in a position where that label is put on them, okay, I'm the doctor now, I can't touch trash. I can only do doctor stuff and so on and so forth. Yep. But how long have you been a surgeon for? So when I was practicing, I practiced for about 15 years, but I haven't operated. That's the thing that that's the only thing that's hard for me is because I love teaching. And I know that, you know, that I really think that, you know, people look at legacy as like the transfer of money or power. I think legacy is the transfer of knowledge from one generation to the next. That's what I really think. And it like gives me goosebumps. I know it sounds corny, but it's so true because, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, we have this saying, watch one, do one, teach one, right? So if you literally, if I can teach you something, or if you can teach me something, if I go out in 20 minutes in a car accident and I don't make it out of the accident, I live on because that message that I taught you and shared with you, if it resonated with you, you're going to teach it to someone else, right? Yes. But but money and power, those things eventually go away. And so, yeah, I think for me, that was really like the defining moment was realizing that just because I'm not practicing anymore doesn't mean that I can't still contribute and still teach. That is so true. I feel like most people struggle with detaching themselves from their career for having been in that field for so many years. How did you manage to keep yourself as Brian Segray and Dr. Segray? How did you keep both a in a way that you didn't end up identifying as Dr. Segre, but as a human being and as the little boy who grew up on a Texan ranch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's a good question. I think honestly, so for me, I've always been like a big reader. I just, ever since I was a kid, I just never could get enough of it. So I told myself as a person, you know, we all have, I like to say, you know, this, 
I joke around, you, you know, I love humor. This can get you in trouble with your psychiatrist. That's a joke. But I think we all, we all have multiple identities, right? In the sense that whenever I talk to someone, I was the same way with my, with the workers at my, at my family business that were trade tradesmen. I'm the same way with the person at the grocery store, as far as how I converse with them and how I treat them. But certainly, you know, when I was a practicing surgeon, there was a different you know, mold that you have to fit in, like we talked about, like a label. And so I think what I do personally, so that I don't lose sight of that is, you know, I have hundreds of residents out there that I train, surgical residents. They still call me literally to this day. I still read journal articles, you know, I still write and publish scientifically. I still keep up with the literature and medicine. And so I still keep that curious side of my brain going. I've gone to several surgical conferences where I used to lecture, but I just go as a guest now. And so what I think was important to me is I didn't just shut that part of my life out. As far as removing labels, I think for me, the biggest issue would have been when I walked away from my career, you know, it's sort of like these high school relationships where when you break up with your girlfriend, you put everything in a shoebox and you just totally get her or him out of your yeah. life. Right? We've all <laughs> we've all done that or we've seen it in the movies. But for me, I wanted to keep that piece of me. And so what I did was I just kept that side alive. And like I said, still to this day, some of my closest friends um, that I published and wrote and, and operated right alongside with, we talk on the phone, you know, every week, every other week. And so it's sort of like there isn't really an identity. It's just me. And I've just learned to just let all that take place at the same time. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I, I feel like you have a way with uh, overcoming labels. You've posted recently on your LinkedIn a photo of young Brian Segre on a running track. Tough yeah. Guys. Yeah. And that was heavy. There are labels, literally. Where do you see a surgeon, professional doctor posting a topless picture on LinkedIn? Yeah, how, how um, do you overcome if it, it, it looks like when when I see most of your posts, it looks like you have literally overcame anything about the label of what would people say, what would people think? That's and, so, and that that specific post of you topless, young you with the long, long hair, hair, you know, <laughs> and cruising, such a powerful picture. But what can you share with us? Someone who feels like telling their stories, but they're not able to walk past that label of no, you are a professional, you shouldn't be been posting such and such on, on LinkedIn. What can That's we take from your book? That's a great question. I think, um, so and you know this also, you sent me another beautiful card uh, recently. So I think there's this term that I've used on LinkedIn and now a lot of people have talked about this in relation to me using it. And it's this term I sort of, you know, I didn't create this, but I definitely was probably the first person to mention it on LinkedIn and I, and I call it public journaling. And I've been journaling for several decades when I first started. So I, before I was a runner and a surgeon, believe it or not, I was a professional artist. So actually what got me involved 
or inspired to become a doctor was I was doing drawings for anatomy books. And my dad was like, maybe you could like do that on humans. And I was like, okay. So, so I've always been very, uh, like I would sketch. I always carried a book with me. And so I, I started not just sketching, but writing down my thoughts. And it just clicked with me one day that I'm sort of writing these thoughts down. And Matthew McConaughey, who's a Texan, said this too. And he says that when he journals, he doesn't write down to remember, he writes down to forget. And mm -hmm. so it's beautiful, right? And so I think that a lot of people, they journal or they like to tell stories because they want to get it off their chest, right? And so, but a lot of people aren't ready to take that step. And so what public journaling is to me, and this is what I want to start helping people do and realize is when I showed that picture and said, I've never shown this photo publicly, 100% true. I mean, my wife wanted like, so I don't talk about my running profession for several reasons, which we may get into a little bit, but it was a really dark time for me. And I told my wife, she goes, you're going to show that picture like on LinkedIn. And I said, now is the perfect time because I have a big audience now and people need to understand that you can be a professional or you can fit in a label and still have, you know, skeletons in the closet or huge adversity that you overcame. And, you know, I ended up winning that race actually, but you can see in my face and you can just see how much torment there was in that picture. And I was, and at that time in my life, I was running away from everything, which doesn't work. And I wasn't running because I loved it. I was running because people wanted me to, because I was mm -hmm. good at it. And so I thought to myself, with all these layoffs going on, with all these crazy things going on in the world right now, you know, people just don't have this compassion and this connection like they used to, right? And I said, maybe if I share this heartbreaking story or a lot of these stories that I share, it'll make people realize that this is a place that you can be a little bit vulnerable. And like you said, with, with telling stories around a campfire, storytelling was the original form of art, of music, of, you know, everything was from storytelling, right? That was there before we had pen and pencil. And so it's so relatable. And I just think that using this platform is a way that a lot of people can overcome adversity because if you can share something here, it helps you get it out, right? It helps mm -hmm. you get rid of that. But yeah. then it puts it out there so that someone else reads it, right? Like Kofi or Jim or Bill or, or Susie or whoever. And she reads it and she says, oh my God, I have the exact same experience. Maybe I should share this. Like maybe this will be good for me, you know? And every time I share a post like that, even the one like I shared this morning about my mom that did really well, people will reach out to me and they'll say, I can't believe that you shared that. I'm gonna I'm gonna start posting now. So it's incredible how everybody has something to say. I mean, you have beautiful stories. Everybody has beautiful stories, but they're not here. They're right here, and you have to take them out and just put them put them here. And so that's how I think Kofi. Um, a lot of people, if they want to get started on LinkedIn, they're listening to me and you right now, and they're thinking this crazy guy is saying for me to get started on LinkedIn, I should share really vulnerable stuff. I'm not saying necessarily that's how you should get started. What I'm saying is that don't spend as much time thinking about how to write something or what to write about. Just tell us what you did today or, you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's um, 
And that's where I think LinkedIn really becomes powerful because even though we're all in the business of humans and, and mankind, if one day I do have a product or a service to offer, people are going to be connected to me now in a way where they're going to say, wow, this guy is very relatable. He's very personal. He's sharing these very deep things. I kind of believe what this guy has to say, right? Yeah. Versus the versus the person who's look at me, look at me, you know, nobody can relate to that. So I think storytelling is honestly just what it's all about. Amazing, Brian. Another label you have overcome that I have seen through LinkedIn is the label that says you shouldn't post too much on LinkedIn. There's a label out there about how many posts you are allowed or not within a day on, on LinkedIn. And I feel like you have overcome that label to the point that you are doing the public journaling in real time. You are not post scripting anything. You share literally stories or insights from your run as you are running or as you're done running. And I think that is such a powerful way of storytelling. And that is so relatable because you're not trying to tweak the story to make it beautiful or to make it pleasant to people. You're just telling a story as it is, as you feel it, as they come. And, and I love that sense of urgency in how you tell stories because you never know how timely that might be for someone else in their lives. How did you overcome that feeling of what the LinkedIn community is going to say about posting often? Yes, yeah, so this is a great topic. I love this because it is funny how there's like this constant debate and you see so many people post about you know how often you should post quality versus quantity and this and that and for me i think that you know people will use this term creator mm -hmm. content creator and it's you know if you like that term use it i don't like that term because when you think about something being created it means that you're taking nothing and you're making something right so the reason i like storytelling is to me when you tell a story the information's already there. You're just weaving it together so that someone else can connect with it. And so I think that if you're looking at your content as something that you're trying to make, whether it's truthful, whether you're fabricating it and it's a nonfiction or a fiction story, the beauty of storytelling or public journaling is that, you know, it's just like if you were an artist and you were standing outside and you saw something beautiful and you stopped to sketch it or if you were a writer and you probably noticed this why do great ideas always come in the middle of the night or in the shower right so a really really famous author once said that anything that you wake up in the middle of the night to write down never needs to be edited right so it's sort of the same thought process where if i'm just in the moment and I just finished a run or like this morning when I told the story about my mom, I literally woke up this morning and a lot of times I've even talked about this. I'll open my phone and I'll just scroll through photos and just stop on like a photo. And, you know, people nowadays with phones, photographs, people, they're so click happy with the camera that they forget that what a photograph actually is, what it originally was. 
is it's capturing a moment or a memory in time. And when you look at that photo later, it's not to look at that picture, it's to remember that moment, to relive that moment, right? Yes. I mean, the picture, who, who cares about the picture? That's not what it's for, it's to transplant you back. It's like a time machine. And so I think the best way to capture that is right in the moment. And so like for me this morning, I had no idea what I was gonna write about this morning. I was drinking a cup of coffee, breaking in your mug, and I happened to see that picture of me and my mom in Austin, Texas. And I thought to myself, and then it just, it everything just came out. It was like, I didn't type it and edit it. I didn't, you know, uh, brainstorm it. It's just the way you guys saw it is the exact way it came out, all just from looking at that photo. And so I think keeping it simple here is the key. And I think the way to overcome how many times should I post? How many times should I not post? You know, is it true that if you, it depends on what the quote algorithm is doing, right? Yeah. But, and you, but you know this, is it true that if I posted only once per day and I didn't post again during the day, that that first post might get more reactions and more engagement than if I didn't post? Probably because the more that you post, LinkedIn clearly is not going to show three or five posts of mine with the same frequency to people as it would show just one because there's only so much bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So lots of people that are much bigger creators or influencers than I am have realized that there comes a point where your posts are competing with each other. But for me, because I'm not selling anything right now except for myself, if I post three times a day and most of my posts will get two to 300 reactions, okay, fine. I could post once a day and that one post could get five or 600, but I have more I want to say. I have more lessons that I want to share. I have, you know, more things that I can't keep inside. I have to get them out. And so now I'm the one getting goosebumps. Yeah. But I mean, you're the same way. You were talking about it yesterday when you were putting out all those great videos. Um, yes. You said the same thing. You made a joke about we just have to say what we have to say, right? Yeah. And and some people will tell me, but all your posts are so good, and you're doing so many posts that why don't you save that content and don't waste it? Save it for later. Don't waste it. If only one person sees my post and it brings them happiness or it gives them the confidence to post something similar, that's a home run for me. So when someone says like save your really good content and only post it once a day save it for what today could be my last day you know yes yes that was so spot on yesterday i think i posted the most i've ever posted in a single day and i didn't wake up with the, the intent to do so it just came naturally as i was going through my day and ideas were, were coming flowing in and I saw call sign 22, and that's a cause I believe in. Like you said, yesterday might have been my last day, and right. I would have never been able to support that mission. So it, it was a no-brainer for me, mm -hmm. and I can relate to that on a deep level. Yeah. Wow, you have so much to, to give us and i am so appreciative for your openness to to give it and and in such a way that is so genuine and uh insightful but 
I want to go back to your running career. You seem to be the type of person who have walked away from so many things or so many opportunities or careers that most people or society would label successful and when someone gets their hands on such career they identify with it and they will do anything to stick with it yet you walked away and you did multiple you did that multiple times what drives you what do you base your decisions on when you're walking away from such great careers i think honestly for me it's um and it sounds really you know like cliche or like um you know really rehearsed to say but honestly if i'm not having fun and it's not always easy to do um it's heartbreaking honestly to do and it's really hard but i've never regretted the decisions that i've made and the reason i think is because you know we are here for a very finite amount of time and mm -hmm. you know in every culture in every ethnicity every race every color every gender every everything the only currency that has literally no value is time that's the one thing that all of us can never get back and you can't buy more of right so you, you the way i've always looked at it is as soon as something is bringing me more depression it's bringing me more negative emotion as soon as something is not fun for me anymore as soon as something is becoming more work but the work is not enjoyable than what i'm getting out of it personally and definitely if it starts to turn me into a person where it starts to affect how i interact with people around me i literally just walk away from it and i think some people in their own lives may be in that position or may have had those thoughts and they feel like it's giving up or they feel like you know they're going to get labeled as a quitter call me what you want this is the best decision i ever made i mean you know i did what i did you know i went to the trials i you know i i checked those boxes yeah. um but then society had other plans for me and it became this thing where you know i wasn't I originally started running because it was it's just the most freeing thing that I that you possibly can do for me. You're outside, you're in nature. It's how it all started, you know, the original sport. And to me, it was I just always smiled. Most people, they run because they want to wear a size 30 jeans or they want to be a size <laughs> four, you know, dress or they ate too many cookies the night before. I ran just because I love to run. And so for me, when I lost that, the money was good there was a lot of perks that i was getting from that i was traveling it was you know it was great but and i did that for like another two or three years when i was miserable and i basically just faked it and then it became a point to where i just told myself one day if i ever run again it's going to be because i want to run or i feel like i need to and so i literally just gave up that career and pivoted away from it and like I said, I've been running again for like three weeks. And honestly, it's the first time, like three weeks ago, I think it was like on a random Wednesday, I went out for a hike and I came back like just super happy. And my wife was like, you went running, didn't you? And I was like, yes. And she was like, oh my gosh. Um, and so and so it was just like, it, I felt like I did the first time I ever ran. And so I think that 
if someone is in a career and they're doing really, really good at it, but they're not getting fulfilled or it's not, you know, hitting them the same way that it did before, walking away from that is not quitting or giving up. And some people may say, oh, well, you were able to walk away and you were able to switch careers because you were successful and you had money and this and that. Let me tell you something, when I was running, the money was good, but I was in medical school at the time and I was spending more money than I was making just to stay in school. It's not what people probably think. So it was mm -hmm. a big decision. And when I walked away from my surgical career to come back home, that was a big decision too. But sometimes less is more, you know what I mean? Less is more. There's uh, this book titled The Power of Less by, is it Gandhi, I think? Yes. Um, you know, it talks about the same concept you just shared, uh, powerful stuff. Yeah, powerful it's true. It, it really is true. And I think that there's a lot of people, especially right now, out there that are working at jobs, they're in toxic work culture environments, you know, they're, it's, they're just not getting fulfilled, but they see all these layoffs happening and they see the, the way the financial and, and the way the economy is right now. And they're nervous about quitting or leaving that job because they don't think that they can get another one. And I'm not encouraging people to just walk away, but I'm just sharing my story and letting them know that if you can go from a professional athlete to a surgeon, to owning a plumbing, heating and air conditioning company, you know, <laughs> you, you can, you can make a career pivot and be okay. As long as you take care of all this, you know, cause that's all yeah. that really matters at the end of the day. So. Yeah. Yeah. Such powerful stuff. Now, in most situations, sometimes we are worried about being called a quitter or, you know, someone who quickly gives up and people are afraid that if they have so many career change, when they need a job, they might not get one because they will be labeled as someone who is not loyal or easy to walk away from uh, uh, what their profession. What would you share with someone who is in that situation and struggling with that mindset? I would say that is a, that's a big struggle even for me because I do have a lot of breaks and gaps in my, you know, as a doctor, we call it a curriculum vitae or a CV, but most people call it a resume. But so there are odd breaks and different career transitions. And I know that even right now, when I'm looking to add something to my portfolio and I'm looking for work and looking for, you know, a, you know, different side jobs, I know for a fact, people look at that resume and they say, oh, this is weird. He did this for 15 years, this for three, this for one, this for six months, whatever. And I think that it's a challenge. I do think that the, uh, my wife is in cybersecurity, but she works in talent acquisition and recruiting. And I do think that the mindset of corporations and medium to smaller businesses, they're starting to realize that even if someone was at a job for a year and another year and another year, it may be that they are getting promotions and going to a company for a, a different role. Maybe they lost a mother and they had to sell their house and go help take care of their mother as a caregiver. 
Maybe they were injured in a car accident. Maybe they got married and they had to relocate for their wife's work or their husband's mm -hmm. works. So companies, you know, they want to see everything really pretty on a sheet of paper um, and employees want to stand out on that sheet of paper. But there's always, once again, there's always a story behind that. And so I encourage people to, you know, um, when you're networking, when you're applying for jobs, don't just hit the apply button, get on LinkedIn, connect with people who are, you know, like the way I found my last job was I literally found a list of five companies that I was interested in working for. I started connecting with people from those companies on LinkedIn. We started in, in uh, engaging and interacting with each other. And then I just took a shot and I DM'd one of the co-founders from this company. Next thing you know, we're texting on the phone, we're on a phone call and I got hired. So I think people should be less worried about those job gaps because employers are starting to understand that people move around, leave jobs for lots of different reasons. And it's not always person got fired, person wasn't performing. It can be much deeper than that. And that's why I think it's important to network so that you can talk to people because a piece of paper is not going to tell your story. And uh, as a, an entrepreneur and a small business owner, I have found multiple times that taking the time to talk to people and hearing the details that they cannot put in between the lines it is very important in the hiring process. Very much so, yeah. Wow, Brian, we have enjoyed some awesome time with you today. If you were to leave us with some last pieces of, of wisdom for life in general, what would it be? Yeah, I think uh, the most important thing I can tell people is, you know, um, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on a different social media platform or whether it's in real life, always do your best to represent who you are and what you're about in a genuine and truthful way. And always focus on other people first, because if you're a selfless person and if you serve others, and if you go out of your way to help people, all of that stuff, you know, kindness and karma are really good friends. So, you know, at the end of the day, the best thing that you can do is be true to yourself, because if you stay true to yourself, then you never have to tell a lie. If you start being misleading and you start trying to be someone that you're not, then you have to keep all of these stories straight in your head somehow. And it's just not a good way to live your life. So if you stay true to yourself, and you never have to worry about whether or not you're truthful here or in real life. Amazing. Brian, say great today for you on Coffee with Coffee. We talked about stories of overcoming labels in our society. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. Thank you to our listener for tuning in. Brian, it was such a pleasure and an honor to have you on Coffee with Coffee. I cannot wait to have you back sometime because there's so much you have to gift us with. And I'm going to make sure we squeeze every little drop out of that. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> sip, sip, hooray. Heck yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate it, Kofi.